So it was natural that, having made Sarah's acquaintance, she should sit and stare at her with profound admiration. "'You can speak French, can't you?' she said respectfully. Sarah got on to the window-seat, which was a big, deep one, and tucking up her feet, sat with her hands clasped around her knees. "'I can speak it because I have heard it all my life,' she answered. "'You could speak it if you had always heard it.' "'Oh, no, I couldn't,' said Ermengarde. "'I never could speak it.' "'Why?' inquired Sarah curiously. Ermengarde shook her head so that the pigtail wobbled. "'You heard me just now,' she said. "'I'm always like that. I can't say the words. They're so queer.' She paused a moment, and then added with a touch of awe in her voice, "'You're clever, aren't you?' Sarah looked out of the window into the dingy square, where the sparrows were hopping and twittering on the wet iron railings and the sooty branches of the trees. She reflected a few moments. She had heard it said very often that she was clever, and she wondered if she was, and if she was, how it had happened. "'I don't know,' she said. "'I can't tell.' Then, seeing a mournful look on the round, chubby face, she gave a little laugh and changed the subject. "'Would you like to see Emily?' she inquired. "'Who is Emily?' Ermengarde asked, just as Miss Minchin had done. "'Come up to my room and see,' said Sarah, holding out her hand. They jumped down from the window-seat together and went upstairs. "'Is it true,' Ermengarde whispered, as they went through the hall, "'is it true that you have a playroom all to yourself?' "'Yes,' Sarah answered. Papa asked Miss Minchin to let me have one, because—well, it was because when I play I make up stories and tell them to myself, and I don't like people to hear me. It spoils it if I think people listen." They had reached the passage leading to Sarah's room by this time, and Ermengarde stopped short, staring, and quite losing her breath. "'You make up stories?' she gasped. "'Can you do that as well as speak French? Can you?' Sarah looked at her in simple surprise. "'Why, any one can make up things,' she said. "'Have you never tried?' She put her hand warningly on Ermengarde's. "'Let us go very quietly to the door,' she whispered. "'And then I will open it quite suddenly, and perhaps we may catch her.' She was half laughing, but there was a touch of mysterious hope in her eyes which fascinated Ermengarde, though she had not the remotest idea what it meant, or whom it was she wanted to catch, or why she wanted to catch her. Whatsoever she meant, Ermengarde was sure it was something delightfully exciting. So, quite thrilled with expectation, she followed her on tiptoe along the passage. They made not the least noise until they reached the door. Then Sarah suddenly turned the handle and threw it wide open. Its opening revealed the room quite neat and quiet, a fire gently burning in the grate, and a wonderful doll sitting in a chair by it, apparently reading a book. "'Oh, she got back to her seat before we could see her,' Sarah explained. "'Of course they always do.' They're as quick as lightning." Ermengarde looked from her to the doll and back again. "'Can she—walk?' she asked breathlessly. "'Yes,' answered Sarah. "'At least I believe she can. At least I pretend I believe she can. And that makes it seem as if it were true. Have you never pretended things?' "'No,' said Ermengarde. "'Never. I—tell me about it.' She was so bewitched by this odd new companion that she actually stared at Sarah instead of at Emily, notwithstanding that Emily was the most attractive doll person she had ever seen. "'Let us sit down,' said Sarah, "'and I will tell you. It's so easy that when you begin you can't stop. You just go on and on doing it always, and it's beautiful. Emily, you must listen. This is Ermengarde St. John, Emily. Ermengarde, this is Emily. Would you like to hold her?' "'Oh, may I?' said Ermengarde. "'May I really? She's beautiful.' and Emily was put into her arms. 
Never in her dull, short life had Miss St. John dreamed of such an hour as the one she spent with the queer new pupil before they heard the lunch-bell ring, and were obliged to go downstairs. Sarah sat upon the hearth-rug and told her strange things. She sat rather huddled up, and her green eyes shone and her cheeks flushed. She told stories of the voyage and stories of India, but what fascinated Ermengarde the most was her fancy about the dolls who walked and talked, and who could do anything they choose when the human beings were out of the room, but who must keep their powers a secret, and so flew back to their places like lightning when people returned to the room. "'We couldn't do it,' said Sarah seriously. "'You see, it's a kind of magic.' Once, when she was relating the story of the search for Emily, Ermengarde saw her face suddenly change. A cloud seemed to pass over it, and put out the light in her shining eyes. She drew her breath in so sharply that it made a funny, sad little sound, and then she shut her lips and held them tightly closed, as if she was determined either to do or not to do something. Ermengarde had an idea that if she had been like any other little girl, she might have suddenly burst out sobbing and crying. But she did not. "'Have you a—a a pain?' Ermengarde ventured. "'Yes,' Sarah answered after a moment's silence. "'But it is not in my body.' Then she added something in a low voice, which she tried to keep quite steady, and it was this. "'Do you love your father more than anything else in the whole world?' Ermengarde's mouth fell open a little. She knew that it would be far from behaving like a respectable child at a select seminary to say that it had never occurred to you that you could love your father, that you would do anything desperate to avoid being left alone in his society for ten minutes. She was, indeed, greatly embarrassed. "'I—I I scarcely ever see him,' she stammered. "'He is always in the library, reading things.' "'I love mine more than all the world ten times over,' Sarah said. "'That is what my pain is. He has gone away.' She put her head down quietly on her little huddled-up knees, and sat very still for a few minutes. "'She's going to cry out loud,' thought Ermengarde, fearfully. But she did not. Her short black locks tumbled about her ears, and she sat still. Then she spoke without lifting her head. "'I promised him I would bear it,' she said. "'And I will. You have to bear things. Think what soldiers bear. Papa is a soldier. If there was a war, he would have to bear marching and thirstiness, and perhaps deep wounds. And he would never say a word. Not one word.' Ermengarde could only gaze at her. But she felt that she was beginning to adore her. She was so wonderful and different from anyone else. Presently she lifted her face and shook back her black locks, with a queer little smile. "'If I go on talking and talking,' she said, "'and telling you things about pretending, I shall bear it better. You don't forget, but you bear it better.' Ermengarde did not know why a lump came into her throat, and her eyes felt as if tears were in them. "'Lavinia and Jessie are best friends,' she said rather huskily. "'I wish we could be best friends. Would you have me for yours?' You're clever, and I'm the stupidest child in the school, but I—oh, I do so like you. I'm glad of that, said Sarah. It makes you thankful when you are liked. Yes, we will be friends. And I'll tell you what, a sudden gleam lighting her face, I can help you with your French lessons.' 